welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I'm Deborah. I'm here with Tracy. Hi. Hey. So today we're going to talk about overwhelmed brains. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, high conflict divorce is kind of the buzzword right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Everybody loves high conflict. Yeah, and if you spend so, any any time on social media at all, it seems that that's what we're reading about. But it makes us ask the question, what is all this conflict about? And what can we, as divorce coaches, this is always the question we ask, what can we as divorce coaches do to help clients dial it down or at least manage it more effectively? So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about amicable divorce, and we explored this idea that there is a wide space between being BFFs and being mortal enemies. Yeah, big continuum there. <laughs> big continuum. So today we want to go get into one of the kind of sneaky issues that can drive conflict in divorce, and that's decision-making biases, mm. right? These biases, because the truth is, as a species- we're pretty selfish. We want what we want. Yep. And especially when we feel scared or threatened or uncertain or uncomfortable, our natural reaction is to make decisions or act in ways that protect us. Yeah. (laughs) It's just rarely our first instinct to take a pause and ask curious questions or attempt to be collaborative. It's just not, it's just not our first reaction. And that doesn't make us bad, evil, or disordered necessarily. It makes us human. 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 It makes us human to behave in that way. Yeah. And so there are actually names for the processes, a number of them that drive this. We've talked before. I'm guessing everybody's pretty familiar with the amygdala or that part of the brain that scans our environment for danger. Whenever a threat is detected, whether that threat is real, a lion, an oncoming train, or perceived like a fear about money or an insult, the same alarm bells ring in our brain. And this can cause us to go into that reactive mode. The stress hormones get released and bam, we're in that fight or flight response which is not where we make our best decision-making when it comes to conflict. No. So in episode 58, we spent some time talking through how to help clients maintain this emotional control when they get hit with an amygdala hijack. Mm. So that's one thing that happens when brains are overwhelmed. But there's another brain game that's going on during divorce too. And that's the way our brain tries to create shortcuts, right? Yep tries to make faster, easier decisions with shortcuts. Yeah. Circumventing the system, right? Yeah. So so I'm not sure if you're all familiar with the book, 
but thinking fast and slow. Danielle Kahneman explains the results of decades of research into human decision-making. The surprise. Our brains are not as trustworthy as we thought. They're just not. (laughs) And we believe we're making good choices when, in fact, sometimes we're doing a pretty bad job. I was going to say shitty, but we don't want a a rating. So I just said it anyways. Okay. (laughs) But it's true, right? So we're doing a not such great job. Our brains are not functioning in that capacity. He describes two systems of decision-making. System one is fast. It goes to work automatically and subconsciously right? That's where when you hear people who are like in car accidents or something, right? They can, they go fast into work. Whereas system two is slower and more methodical and typically requires effort and concentration. To conserve energy, our minds complete as many decisions with system one processing as possible. Because system one acts without deep thought, it relies on biases or shortcuts to influence our decision-making processes. We all rely on these system two shortcuts to help us make decisions every single day. We simply just do not have the time or energy to devote system two resources to every one of the thousands of decisions we must make, like, what are we wearing? What am I going to eat? How am I going to drive to work? Most of the time, we're unaware of these biases, and they may not have much impact. But there are occasions when an implicit or explicit bias can be an obstacle to sound decision-making. Think racial bias or gender bias, right? If divorce decisions are so important, why? In the world, would anyone want to take shortcuts? Why? Why? Why, Why? would clients apply system two to their choices all the time? In a word, uh, in a word, overwhelm. When our brains get tired or lazy, they just, they just don't want to take the time to do all that work. And what does this mean? That's when our clients feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed with emotions, overwhelmed with decisions, overwhelmed with changes, overwhelmed with tasks, deadlines, questions, fears. I could go on and on and on, right? That word overwhelm is that predominant descriptive word we hear from clients all the time. And it's so grounded in this decision-making process. Right. Overwhelm. So one of the things that comes out of that, let's, let's just talk about this one phrase, throw in the towel. Have you ever had a client want to throw in the towel? That's yeah. stress and overwhelm. They're just waving the white flag. I can't take it anymore. I can't do it. My brain is tired, right? I can't make any more decisions. So scientists call this decision fatigue. And yeah. it's really interesting. We we reach a threshold beyond which we are tired of making decisions. Mm-hmm. And there's a really interesting, um, pretty famous research study that analyzed an Israeli parole board's rulings. They looked at 1,100 cases over a one-year period. Now, Mm. overall, the board approved parole in about a third of the cases. 
but the probability of a prisoner getting paroled fluctuated wildly throughout the day. (laughs) (laughs) Catch this. Prisoners who appeared early in the morning received parole about 70% of the time, while those who appeared late in the day were paroled less than 10% of the time. Significant. I better, I I would be hoping I had a morning hearing all day long. Right. (laughs) Right. And what do you think accounts for this difference? It's decision fatigue. Later in the day, board members were too tired to continue to apply the complicated system to decision making that required a lot of effort. So it seemed safer to keep a prisoner incarcerated than release a prisoner who might commit a crime. Decision fatigue, it's too much work to apply system two. So our clients' overtired and overworked brains are also desperately seeking some relief, some way to get through this decision-making process more quickly and with less effort. And so we see six shortcuts or biases that have a tendency to show up in divorce and co-parenting repeatedly that -hmm. contribute to conflict and the ability to resolve differences. So let's start with status quo bias. Yeah, a big one. Big one. Wanting things to stay the same. Status quo bias. It's really common. Very much so. And so... What we see here is it it makes sense. They don't want things to change. They want to be divorced. They don't want to be married to each other anymore. But perhaps as they're getting into things, they are not quite prepared for all the changes this divorce is going to bring. Mm -hmm. Stay-at-home parents may need to earn income. Someone close to retirement may have to plan to work a few more years. Socioeconomic status is going to change. Maybe they're going to have to sell the house and move to a different neighborhood, not going to afford private school tuition or homeschool anymore. Um, What else, right? Lots of things are going to change. And that can be a bias that creates a big obstacle sometimes. Yeah. And and to be honest, our legal system is sort of set up to create the (laughs) status quo bias, right? Status quo is a word we hear in we got the legalities of divorce all the time, right? True. Status quo. What was if we're in a, a negotiating agreement, we're going to maintain, we might come to an agreement to maintain status quo as to how things worked in the marriage until we get to a settlement agreement, right? Yes. So status quo is also, right, getting us set up in this position of, well, I just want things to stay the same. Right. I want my same lifestyle. Yes. Why are we doing a marital lifestyle analysis if not to create a spousal support argument to maintain my lifestyle? So status quo bias is wanting things to stay the same. Essentially, I I want my partner to go away, but I want everything else about my life to stay the same. And that's a tough one, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So and what else? We have loss aversion. Yeah. Loss aversion is the desire to protect what we have. Mm-hmm. Loss aversion biases show up so frequently as parents begin to discuss this time sharing schedules, right? Because each parent is used to living with the children full time and cannot see any reduction in time 
to what they already have. They don't want to give it up. It's a huge loss aversion, right? No matter what the schedules discuss, it feels like a loss. Right. And it's being interpreted and is creating a bias in that decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. The desire to protect what we have. That's another one of those biases. So these brain shortcuts, they're just kind of, if you've ever heard the the phrase ant automatic negative thoughts, (laughs) this is, these biases are kind of those automatic negative thoughts. They're coming up and require exploration with our client. Yeah. Another one is an anchoring bias. Mm-hmm. Mm, anchoring biases um, can be like concrete uh, barriers sometimes. These are expectations or positions from which it's difficult to deviate. Anchoring can really become an issue when clients get fixated on some sort of initial expectation. Now, these initial expectations may not be objectively reasonable. We see this all the time, but they got set early on by family, by friends, by some Facebook group, by somebody else in their environment, maybe even an attorney trying to give them a great sales pitch. We don't know. Yeah. But they get these early expectations. And then what we see is Even as more information becomes available, they're working with a coach, maybe they're getting more case information. They experience then any movement off that position as giving in or giving up something. Yeah. And often what happens, then we see clients get stuck even further, right? Dig their heels in every, even more because of this anchoring concept, right? Exactly. And I can't come off it. I can't come off it. Or if I am, then I'm losing. And so then they're going to have to give up something else, even though that anchored expectation isn't grounded in reality. It's a difficult one. Yeah. 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 Here's my, one of my favorites, (laughs) the endowment effect. Oh yeah. Okay. This is really the overvaluing of our belongings. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to go political on us. Right. So, but I, I, there's been a perfect example of a current case that's with the former president of the United States in regards to a case filed against them in the state of New York, in which there was an endowment effect and an overvaluing of belongings, right? Things were priceless. You couldn't put a value on it. So the endowment effect typically comes into play when dividing property, like the marital marital home, even even when an objective analysis is brought in, those neutral appraisals, one party may feel as if they are getting less than that property is worth. Why? Because they have endowed value based on subjective and emotional factors. Right. Priceless. Right? It's priceless. It's priceless. You can't put a value on the memories that happened in this home. Right. The children were born in this home. We brought our children home from the hospital in this home. Right. Yeah. And effect. Exactly. Or there's a house down the street that just sold for 600000 Yes, but they don't have blue toilets and bathtubs and Formica countertops. But we don't see that in our own space because we're familiar with it and we love it. Yeah. 
that yeah. subjectivity and that emotional engagement in yes, it, right. right. So we so overvalue. So super hard to separate for many of our clients. Yep. Yep. And then these last two, let's lump these together. Confirmation bias, which you may be familiar with, which is seeking evidence to confirm our own beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then overconfidence bias, inflating our chance of success. Here's where these come into trouble. We're in the negotiation process. Things maybe aren't going we don't seem to be getting to an agreement, getting to resolution as those negotiations continue. If parties only seek information that supports their own argument and they ignore evidence to the contrary, <laughs> they may became they may become overconfident in their ability to get a favorable outcome in litigation. Yes. They overstate their batna. Yeah. And 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 trust me, there are you can find, you can go around and find people to seek and confirm evidence to your beliefs. Right. right? It, it's what we talk about in any court case, right? Attorneys can make an argument and there can be case law and precedent on both sides. Yes. Right. And and it comes down to so if you're seeking for somebody to confirm your decision making, you more than likely will be successful at it. Right. Yeah. Then in turn, you're set up into buying into this overconfidence. So there is a direct correlation between the confirmation and overconfidence bias. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So as negotiations continue, if clients only seek information that supports their own argument and ignore evidence to the contrary, they may have become more overconfident in their ability to have a favorable outcome in litigation. Yeah. Right. It's worth repeating because it's so common. Yeah. I, I Again, favorable outcome in litigation. Overstating their BATNA. Absolutely. I'm going to do great. Absolutely. Right. So it's impossible to ignore or eliminate biases, but we can help clients recognize the way they show up and use that to think more clearly with system two. And this is where values based decision making can help. Mm-hmm. Clients often fear, clients often make fear based decisions to protect the way things are and how they're perceived which is reflective of underlying values they may not even be consciously aware of. However, when they tune into their values, they can make decisions based on intention, which is value-based. As Roy Disney says, it is not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. Yeah. It isn't. And and there, I had to make a really difficult decision when I was getting divorced. My kids were two and four and people are shocked if I've shared this before, y'all can, can let me know, but I agreed to let dad have the kids every Thanksgiving, every Christmas Eve and every Christmas morning. We didn't alternate. Mm. Why? Because he has a, tell us why, Deborah. <laughs> because it was just me 
My parents lived out of state. My brother lived out of state. It was just me. He has a big, lovely family with brothers, sisters, cousins, grandparents. And that's where we usually spent the holidays. Mm -hmm. And so when I know what my values are, family, holidays, being with cousins, I didn't grow up with grandparents and cousins. So I valued that. It made that decision. I want to say simple, not easy. I, I was just going to say that wasn't an okay. easy that wasn't it, an easy decision, but I'm it was sure. simple when I put it through my value filter, right? Because values are these important beliefs and their needs that we hold that impact all the areas of our lives. And when we're able to make those decisions and take actions that honor our values, that's how we maximize feelings of satisfaction and fulfillment. We have more positive feelings. Yeah. When we're acting outside of that, when we're making decisions that don't honor or conflict with our values, that's when we're generating negative feelings. We're feeling dissatisfied. We're feeling discontent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you well, know, we can go on and on about value-based decision-making, right? Because right. parties are allowing defense mechanisms and survival emotions to run the show. They tend to make decisions based on fear and bias. And the result is escalating conflict. And this might be a great time to consider using either your best self exercises or personal values assessments with your clients. And we can go on and on focusing on value-based decision-making and work with your clients. It's really a strategic process, right? It does start with some of those best self exercises and personal values assessments, but then looking at it, really extending past. So if I'm going to, I'm going to kind of challenge you, if this is something that interests you, we spent a lot of time at Divorce Coaches Academy and our certification trainings, our ADR Divorce Coach Certification Training and our new Elevate program for those that are already certified and looking at value-based decision-making and engaging in that work with your clients. So if you have an interest in exploring more and developing those skills, please check us out. want to thank you so much. I know we can go on and on. Decision-making is, is a really a fascinating concept when it comes to divorce and so really important that the role we play as professional practicing divorce coaches, especially when it comes to minimizing conflict in divorce. Want to thank you so much for joining us once again. We look forward to your return when we talk about a new impactful conversation as it relates to the practice of divorce coaching. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.